Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. This is your host, Patrick Butler. And today I got a very fascinating conversation to share with you. I just had a conversation with a gentleman named Robert Voss. Robert is the founder of a think tank called Globsec, which is based out of Bratislava, Slovakia. And his focus is on bringing Central Europe into the conversation of global trade, handling new technologies on the forefront uh, in different areas like sustainability, uh, just overall the economy and commerce with the United States and other parts of the world. It was a very interesting conversation. We talked about a lot of new technologies on the forefront uh, and also sort of how he's been able to develop his business into something that's been going for over 14 years now and what his vision for the business is uh, in the future. Uh, overall, I had a great time, very informative and interesting conversation, especially, if, you know, sort of combining the American perspective with the European one on a lot of these key issues. So please, without further delay, enjoy this conversation with Robert Voss. Hey, Robert, thank you so much for joining the show. It's a real honor to have you on. Thank you very much. It's an honor for me uh, to join the conversation with you. So first off, I'd love to give you the opportunity to share a little bit about yourself or maybe the, the listeners out there who are not familiar with your work already. Would you mind filling them in a little bit about where you come from and what you've been working on? Okay, very glad. So I'm the founder and president of uh, Globsec, which is uh, one of the biggest think tanks and leading think tank uh, in Central Europe. I founded it 16 years ago as a student. Uh, so it, it, it was really a grassroots organization. Uh, and as all the startups and all the best things are uh, being born, uh, they are born without money, but with a huge dedication and vision. And uh, our goal was to bring Central Europe back uh, to the core of the European and transatlantic thinking. Uh, because many times in the history, uh, there, was, uh, uh, there were decisions made about our region without us being at the table. And I wanted to bring back um, uh, Central European uh, to, to the core discussion. Because many, many things and many times, uh, uh, there are discussions about the future of Europe, world, sustainability in New York, in London, in Washington, uh, but not in Central Europe. And uh, we wanted to uh, make this happen. So now I, we have uh, over 100 people from uh, uh, 12 countries working uh, in Bratislava. Um, and uh, we are uh, working with the best think tanks uh, in the United States, in Europe, we work with the Munich Security Forum, with the Atlantic Council, Brookings, and many others on um, uh, multiple issues uh, that concern today's world, on the most hot issues uh, on the international scene. That's phenomenal. And, and I 
truly applaud you for for taking that initiative, especially as a young student. And, and it's pretty amazing what you've been able to accomplish in 16 years with that organization. Um, I was able to catch some of your uh, speaking at the annual conferences, and, and it looks like a phenomenal uh, organization that that you have going there. So congratulations on all that. Thank you very much. And so, uh, we in Bratislava now host one of the biggest uh, international conferences on uh, uh, global security and international uh, international uh, issues. Uh, so we normally every year host um, dozens of presidents, prime ministers, foreign ministers, world leaders, um, leading business figures. Last year we hosted, um, actually this year, it was in the spring, we hosted also a special global Forbes under 30 retreat uh, that we organized together with the uh, Forbes magazine. And we've been able to bring uh, the brightest young talents from around the world uh, to speak about uh, the future, uh, speak about the entrepreneurship, about, uh, uh, about innovations. So that, that was really good. Yeah, that looked really cool. And so I'm curious, so you mentioned that part of what made you, uh, you know, or compelled you to start this organization was how Central Europe had been left out of some of the conversations regarding commerce and trade with the rest of the world. How did that affect you, like, you know, and, and your life? Because I think it's hard for a lot of people who don't understand that region or don't understand the history of that region to, to understand, like, what, what that, you know, what was going on there at that time? What, what was it, some of the day-to-day, you know, impacts of those decisions that you were feeling that led you to create? So, 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 so first of all, uh, we experienced uh, uh, several world wars, World War One, World War Two, and after that, the Cold War, and we, we were left on the wrong side of the Iron Curtain in Central Europe. So uh, we were... Uh, on the communist side, unfortunately. And uh, uh, after 40 years of communism in 1989, exactly 30 years ago, we've been able to rejoin uh, our European family back uh, where we always uh, uh, belonged. And uh, you see the history of Central Europe. Uh, it's a geopolitical hotspot also between Russia and the West. And um, uh, it's been a tectonic um, place uh, where a lot of powers um, uh, have been um, uh, have, have been competing and once we joined uh, back our European family and uh, we, we wanted to join EU and NATO that we did uh, 15 years ago and everybody thought uh, that's it uh, that's the end of your history we achieved where we wanted to be but that's not enough because the world is changing and we are living in a truly disruptive times when everything is in disruption, the institutions that we've built, um, international system, the trade system, transatlantic affairs and everything. And I think our generation has a, a true responsibility that we go through this disruption in a stronger and not, as, uh, as, uh, and, and not weaker, and that there will be more winners than losers, uh, and we see all these challenges that we that that we see today: uh, climate change, uh, trade wars, um, uh, growing China, um, uh, the disinformation uh, scene that is quite heavy, uh, especially in Europe and Central Europe. Uh, you see 
technological change that is creating huge opportunities uh, for, for the mankind. But also it creates um, a lot of vulnerabilities that uh, we did not grasp. And uh, if we are unable to discuss about them, um, you know, those uh, who want to destroy our way of, way of life, the Western uh, value system, uh, are able to do it very easily and uh, with uh, not a lot of money uh, by, um, uh, by decreasing the trust in the system that um, uh, uh, the West has been building. So I think we have a generational mission uh, and we can only do it together. And we can only do it when the businesses, uh, um, the public sector, the politicians, um, uh, experts and, uh, and media work together to figure out uh, where do we go from here? And not only fixing the yesterday's game. So that's one of the missions uh, we are trying to do uh, as well. That's amazing. And, I, and, you know, I love how you've been able to make into it or conceive of it as a generational issue. Cause I, I do see, you know, really huge opportunity to either get in with the technological boom and all these changes that are happening or else, you know, there's a lot of parts of the world that are really, you know, being left behind and not able to participate in that kind of expansion and, uh, and growth. So it's a really, you know, it's, it's, again, I think it's one of those things that's hard for people in the United States to wrap their mind around where we're sort of like sort of in the center of it all. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, and I mean, um, every day there is a new story that comes uh, that is mind boggling, uh, uh, some new technology, some, some, something completely new. And um, the dynamism of the world has speeded up uh, and it's unprecedented. And, uh, it's been speeding up because we have decentralized the innovation potential. 20 years ago, it were only, you know, the big uh, government funded uh, research institutions who came up with all the innovations. But once uh, we have the internet and the uh, general access uh, to, to internet, to information, to data, anybody can be an innovator. And it speeded up the potential of the mankind. But I think that our institutions that we've built after the World War II, whether they are national or international institutions, are somehow unable to grasp that dynamism. And there is a growing gap between how fast the world goes and how, how slowly our institutions are able to react on that uh, potential. And that is creating a lot of frictions um, uh, in our societies because uh, people are confused, uh, politics is confused, politicians are confused, and sometimes uh, uh, they make mistakes. Uh, either they overregulate something with, by which they kill innovation, or they ignore um, uh, the, the opportunities, so they create chaos. So there is a very fine line that we need to be able to, to draw um, in order to uh, sustain the stability, but also to grasp all the opportunities and uh, that uh, this technological boom is bringing and uh, creating. I think you make a really great point. There's either too much regulation or not enough regulation with this new technology. We're, we're in a new unexplored area that humans have never gone to before. What, what are some of those technologies that you feel are under-regulated and are there, and which ones have you noticed are over-regulated in your area? 
So, so look at, for example, several things. Um, autonomous cars. There are so many questions uh, how this will be regulated in the future. Uh, who will be responsible for, uh, for the crash uh, of, of, of an autonomous car? Um, uh, how the data is being gathered? Uh, whether you own the data, who owns the data? Who gets paid for the data? Um, there are so many issues that even we don't understand today uh, how the world will look like in 10 years. So uh, we need platforms and we need discussions where we have the visionaries from, from the tech companies, the, the regulators, the politicians, experts, speaking with each other more often and in a more depth to understand what are the challenges that uh, uh, we are all facing, not only the challenges, but what are the opportunities we are facing so we can, we can make them, you know, we can, we, we can uh, squeeze the opportunity out of them. Uh, what are, have, have you uh, conceived or has your organization put any thought into regulations around AI and, and artificial intelligence in general? Artificial intelligence, exactly. This is, this is a huge, huge topic that uh, uh, is discussed on, on, on a lot of conferences. And uh, we have just um, uh, created a program on digital future. And uh, artificial intelligence definitely is, is a game changer. Um, once you create a general artificial intelligence, it will be a truly a game changer. In many senses, it will create new opportunities, but also it might create vulnerabilities if, if, if it goes into the wrong hands. Uh, so it's a very complex issue and uh, there is no clear answer on, on how to regulate it. But one thing is clear that we will need some global uh, um, code of conduct or, 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 uh, um, or um, rules that we will adhere to. Uh, because otherwise, uh, it will be just a chaos. Because as, for example, uh, Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, uh, a few years ago said that who will first create artificial intelligence will rule the world. So just imagine that um, it will be in the wrong hands. How much knowledge they can, and how can they misuse it? But not only the opportunities, but also the bad guys can misuse it. And we need to be able now uh, to, 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 to discuss about that and to, to make sure that we don't kill the opportunity, but we are aware that we have a huge responsibility. How do we do it? And that we need to do it right. And definitely artificial intelligence is one of the huge and great, great uh, opportunities uh, of the mankind. For, from your own experience, you know, sort of, exploring that idea do you feel that it's a imminent threat like elon musk is is afraid of it says it's like laying a you know unleashing a demon do you feel like it's it's that dramatic or or what is your sort of personal feelings towards ai and its effect on you know potential effects so let me give you just uh, one one um, you know uh, imagination if you combine um uh, unleash uh, thousands of small drones. You combine it with face recognition, with uh, um, uh, location where you are, 
and with the big data, with the access to, 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 your, to your data where you are, where you normally are. And these small drones can have um, a weapon uh, in them. Just imagine, uh, you just program thousand people whom, uh, who, who are targeted and they reach you because they, they know where you are. And, uh, and it's completely changing also the nature of the conflict. And what I'm afraid is that we are not ready for this kind of conflict because we are building big, heavy uh, arms for the, for the conflict of yesterday. But the conflict of tomorrow is uh, very different. And unfortunately, uh, all of these um, technologies is accessible even not only to some states who could do wrong or governments, but also to individuals or small groups, because this is much more cheaper than um, uh, than we used to than we than we used to know from uh, from uh, from the wars before. So that's and and if you combine it with artificial intelligence, that these machines can decide themselves um, uh, who is the target it really will be a game changer. And the thing is that we have all these technologies today. So uh, we need to make sure that somebody who should not do it uh, will not combine all these technologies into something that uh, will be uh, destroying uh, our way of life and, uh, and changing the paradigm of security uh, as we feel. So there are a lot of opportunities again, but a lot of lot of things that we need to be uh, need to be aware of uh, as we walk uh, walk this uh, path. And so to tie it with your organization, GlobeSec, you know, you're a think tank, and you combine great minds to consider solutions from impossible realities. What is it? What is the process of considering? you know, a topic like this, you know, if you look at one of these potential threats or issues or new technologies like artificial intelligence, how do you, how does your organization go about sort of exploring the possible future of these new technologies? So, so what do we do? We organize um, several big global events where we are trying to choose um, uh, uh, topics that are on the top of the international agenda, but also that we think will be, will be shaping the future. We are trying to put together uh, visionaries from private sector and from uh, experts, uh, others, uh, several think tanks, um, politicians to talk about that and to identify uh, the, the potential opportunities, but also the, the, the threats. Then we put together uh, a, a uh, initiative or a group when we identify this, these uh, issues. Uh, um, and, and they are working on, they're researching it. They are trying to, uh, they are trying to understand uh, the, the nature of this, um, uh, of the topic. And they come up with um, uh, some recommendations. But we don't do only technologies. Uh, we, our programs include uh, sustainability, climate change, uh, future of Europe, uh, global economy and global order. Um, because we see that uh, there is a rise of great power competition. Uh, we see um, uh, raising China 
with a very different uh, system of values um, as, as we have in the West. And they are, for example, uh, including artificial intelligence into rating of their own uh, citizens. So if you, for example, travel in China uh, in a train, uh, there are a lot of cameras and with, uh, uh, with face, face recognition. And there are, if you do something bad, uh, it will, it will um, change your rating and it will affect all your life. Um, uh, how you get insurance, um, mortgages, uh, how the state uh, behaves to you. So it's a very different system um, that we are building based on freedom. That's why our organization is, is uh, based on the values that the best, um, uh, best is based, based upon freedom, democracy, and rule of law. And these, I think, are very important principles that we need to protect in the future, but also we cannot create bubbles because we cannot create a new Cold War uh, between two competing um, or several competing uh, systems, growing authoritarian systems and democracies because uh, then we will be again in a very very bad situation so uh, we try to put together uh, to make a long story short um, expert panels uh, and not only our own researchers uh, but multiple institutions would then try to uh, work on these issues Got it. Got it. I'd love to dive back into, you know, talk about some of those other areas that you cover, like sustainability in China. Um, but you mentioned that your the researchers and the panels that you get together, they, the end result is recommendations. And is the goal to deliver these recommendations to policymakers or just to, you know, create public awareness or, or what's, what's like the end product end goal of these you know, with these recommendations? So our goal is impact, definitely impact. And if, if, we, if we want to create impact, we need to target decision makers. So once we have created the clear recommendations, then we try to advocate for them in capitals, in, uh, in institutions. So we do stakeholder mapping. Based on that, we hold several closed door or public, um, uh, public discussions uh, based on what do we want to target. Um, uh, our several papers and uh, and and researches uh, were mentioned in international institutions, governments. Um, the piece on disinformation uh, has been uh, quoted in the U.S. Senate. So um, we are increasingly uh, um, increasingly try, trying to project uh, the impact uh, with the work uh, we are doing. Of course, uh, it's been an uphill battle for us uh, because we are from a small country, um, a small city, uh, which normally has not been on the rudder that can shape these kind of things. So we are in a very new situation where um, also the old um, and the biggest think tanks uh, now accept us as, um, uh, as partners uh, from, from uh, the region of uh, Europe and especially Central Eastern Europe. So um, we do quite a lot with other think tanks uh, to make uh, this impact. Again, I think it's phenomenal the progress that you've been able to make with those circumstances and creating an impact and creating credibility for your organization. 
what was it like at first, just when you were just getting started? How did you sort of breach that barrier of, you know, being unknown and, you know, not having the credibility or the background to, to back up your organization? Like, how did you breach that, that uh, sort of invisible wall? Well, this was very, very, very difficult for, for an organization or for a person or for a student who was uh, 19 years old, uh, as I was, uh, who looked very young. I studied uh, international affairs and diplomacy. And, uh, and uh, diplomacy is a very traditional, um, uh, traditional sector where, um, and very formal. So if a young person comes, uh, it's very difficult uh, to persuade uh, everybody that you have something to say and that uh, you can deliver. So it was, it, it was number one. Number two was the region. Uh, we wanted to bring the world to Bratislava, um, but everybody was asking why exactly there? Why not Brussels? Why not Berlin? So we needed to teach people that uh, um, even in Bratislava, uh, we can... Uh, so you don't have to be simply in London or in New York. Uh, to do global things or to do uh, to do uh, a, a global impact. So this is what we are, what we've been trying to trying to say. But we did not have money, did not have support. There was no big investor, no government, nor uh, you know uh, somebody else who who supported us at the beginning. So we had our own pocket money, investing into what we believed in. In several years, uh, uh, everything what we've done was uh, for free uh, many times uh, we were living from uh, one day to another but we believed it sometimes our parents helped us but uh, the dedication and the consistency um, uh, persuaded a lot of partners who started to join us um, uh, our ministry of uh, foreign affairs several companies uh, then we got um, several big names um, from our region uh, into our board and it started to roll. So the most important um, uh, thing I think was not to give up after one year, not to give up after uh, after second year, um, but uh, to invest into that and to believe that um, uh, you can do it. And that's one of my very strong convictions that you can do whatever you want once you put everything uh, inside. And maybe you don't succeed at the first first side. Maybe you don't uh, succeed on the second attempt, but uh, if you are consistent enough and you are doing the long-term game, not the short-term game, uh, then you are very well positioned um, to to uh, to achieve something. I think that's so it was definitely not easy. But. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely amazing. I, I you know it's it it is true. Just with perseverance, you know, you can start to build that momentum and. Uh, I think that's phenomenal. And, you know, speaking of the long game, you know, uh, I'm curious where you see your organization and its impact going, you know, let's say another 14 years from now. Mm. Well, 14 years is, uh, is, is quite a lot of, lot of time, but uh, our vision is uh, we want to be in a few years uh, rated among the top uh, five uh, think tanks uh, in Europe, uh, uh, which means uh, the most quoted one uh, in Europe 
uh, among the top five quoted one in international media, most referenced ones in uh, in uh, the uh, official documents, uh, and there are several indicators that can that can tell you what does it mean to be one of the top five. Uh, our vision is also that our conferences are not only uh, a good platform for open discussion or debate, but it, it will be a really a driving force for change. So we will see more, you know, uh, policy processes, memoranda signed, uh, or big announcements uh, on our platform. So that's our, our vision. And uh, we want to work with um, uh, institutions who are very well uh, there already, whether it's the World Economic Forum or uh, several others, uh, to achieve that goal. And I'm. Uh, I'm confident that if we put together the right people uh, who believe in this vision, uh, we can achieve it. I love that. And I'm, another thing that comes to mind is you mentioned that you know, your goals are to preserve freedom and the values of the West with this, you know, especially as this new technology comes around uh, to sort of preserve those values. Is that the angle that you're, you know, like with your panels and with your, is that the angle that you typically try to achieve or, or try to go towards? Or do you take a neutral stance to start and figure out sort of what the reality is? Or sort of like, do you embed your values in the results that you try to uh, land at? Or how does that sort of, Process so, so, so uh, we never compromise on our values, but it doesn't mean that we uh, don't want to see um, a discussion with others who don't share them, because we don't want to create bubbles. We don't want to create a bubble where we will be speaking only what, with those who are convinced. We need to speak because the rest of the world which is not committed to these values, is growing and we cannot ignore it. And, and that part of the world is growing. So they, it, they need to be a part of the discussion. And in order to them to be part of the discussion, we not need to make everything that uh, uh, they feel um, uh, they are not on a hostile um, uh, platform, but they are on a platform which is open-minded but strongly believes um, in, in, in these values itself. So it is definitely a very fine line, uh, but our goal is to make the world uh, more prosperous, more sustainable, uh, and more stable. Uh, and that's the stance we want to do. Uh, and we can do it only if we include uh, other parts of the world as well, not only Europe and the United States and uh, um, and, and a few others. That's great. That's great. I, I think it's a, it is a fine line. And so I, I'm glad you're able to answer that for me because I'm just out of curiosity. And to get more specific about, you know, you mentioned one of your goals is sustainability. I mentioned to you before we started recording that, you know, I, I'm an entrepreneur in the sustainability space over here mm -hmm. in the United States. And I'm curious what the general attitude or what the solutions are that, that are popular in, uh, in Central Europe and, and 
what kind of conclusions you have come to on sustainability? Because in the United States, there's frankly just like a lot of bad information about it. And most people are very uninformed about what, what a sustainable future will could realistically look like. Well, there is a huge, absolutely gap and a difference in opinions uh, in, in the United States and Europe. But also, uh, United States is not uh, monolithic in here. You see California is more progressive in, uh, uh, in this sense. Um, uh, so, uh, in, uh, in, in Europe, and what I was struck when, when I came here and when I'm coming here is how much plastic do you use in the United States? It's unbelievable. Everywhere you have plastic. We don't have it anymore in, in Europe in so often. A plastic cup, uh, bags, you know, everything out of plastic. And many times I see that these, uh, that, that these are thrown into, into the same trash, so they are not recycled. So it's, it's so different uh, with Europe. So we are trying to do a much better waste management to reduce um, uh, the plastics. It's, it's one of but it's only one proportion of how to be sustainable, to decrease the carbon um, uh, carbon footprint uh, is another issue. And for example, there is a big uh, discussion about uh, you know whether the electric cars are more sustainable than those of um, of, um, uh, of of the current cars. And you don't know simply sometimes where the electricity comes from. Uh, Maybe the electricity that you charge your car with is sometimes dirtier. So it, it, it is a much bigger, uh, bigger issue that needs to be, uh, needs to be um, uh, answered, uh, especially in Europe when the electricity is produced from nuclear and also is produced from, from the uh, coal uh, power plants. Uh, which, is, which are hugely polluting um, uh, the, the world. So, uh, um, so it's another issue that uh, we need to answer. But definitely the climate change is here. Uh, we feel it all. Uh, and we need to do action right now. And we can only do it if not only governments agree, but private sector can do a lot. Because there is a huge um, underfunding of... of um, investments into uh into into climate and the private sector can can do a lot can do a lot if governments don't 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 invest private sector can and uh, that would solve um, uh, many of the problems uh, as well so even that formally united states is not part of the paris uh, uh, climate agreement uh, i think that um, uh, municipalities uh, uh, individuals and companies can be part of that and that's uh, very important absolutely and and that's where i see even if the united states as a federal government does not come around on uh on these issues or at least you know embrace the paris climate accord there's there's a lot of room for individuals here to yeah. uh to make a change in their lifestyle but one thing that I, i'm curious which i think could be a European and versus American distinction is in the United States, everyone is very, they, they have old information on nuclear and they're very anti-nuclear. Whereas I know in countries like France are, are primarily powered by nuclear and mm -hmm. you know, have not really experienced challenges with it. And 
it's it's one of the cleaner sources of power if the waste can be handled properly. I'm mm-hmm. curious, is that is that accurate to say that in Europe they're more you're you're more nuclear friendly and embrace the newer developments in that technology? Well, uh, for example, my country Slovakia produces forty percent of electricity out of nuclear, and we build just now new nuclear power plants. So it's definitely cleaner than the coal uh, uh, power plants. Definitely cleaner. Uh, um, uh, And it's stable and it's long-term. But there are big differences. For example, Germany banned all their nuclear power plants until, um, I don't know, I think uh, year uh, 2030. So they uh, they have a challenge. Where will they get the electricity from? So what they did is they turned on the coal power plants, which is not green at all. Hmm? France uh, is, on the contrary, uh, keeping the nuclear uh, uh, power plants and uh, produces a a big portion of energy from the nuclear. So once you have built the the power plant, it's good to keep it running. Because the, 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 the biggest investment is in building and into destroying it safely. But once it's running, it's pretty safe. And, uh, and, and it's stable and it can be also clean if you can do, uh, and you're very right with, um, with, if you can do the right uh, waste uh, and secure, uh, secure waste management uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the power plant. Uh, yeah, you're right. Good to know because that's one thing that like in the United States, I'm here in California and in they actually have decommissioned a lot of the nuclear uh, power plants here. There's a fee that every homeowner has to pay for that nuclear decommissioning. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're, they're seeking solutions for cleaner energy, but from sort of just the reality of, of being able to produce power when it's needed. Uh, it seems like nuclear is a, the cleanest option for, frequent power power when you need it, as opposed to solar with yeah. wind that without batteries yeah because it's uh it's not stable so sometimes you have it sometimes uh, it's stronger sometimes weaker and it's also changing the uh distribution of of the electricity because sometimes you have a lot of energy and sometimes lack if you are only relying on solar or or um, uh, wind but definitely those are the most cleanest yeah, ones. Absolutely. One other thing that you mentioned earlier was how China is implementing their social credit score system. And that's one that I wonder if they are on the cutting edge or are they in an area that the West will adopt some version of, but maybe not as extreme of a version, or if that's something that overall just leads to negative consequences. Has your organization uh, delved into those ideas of, of the, you know, if a social credit score or any sort of system like that would, you know, allow freedom to sort of coexist with it? Well, I doubt, I doubt because uh, once you, uh, once you introduce this social credit score uh, and the government has the data, the government has everything under control, simply everything under control. 
and that's uh, dangerous. So for a um, uh, non-democratic, uh, for, for democratic country, I can't, can't imagine uh, such a system. Uh, and for the non-democratic uh, authoritarian uh, regimes, it's a very powerful tool um, uh, inwards, uh, inwards the country. And we, again, we, we still do not understand all the consequences, but um, it will be a huge change in, 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 in the structure uh, of, of power uh, within that country. Uh, and it will have huge consequences. So when, when you do something wrong, you're simply done. Uh, you're simply, um, or when, you, when, you, when, when somebody doesn't like you, for example. Um, so it's it's very difficult to answer now, but I think uh, yeah, um, this is completely different system that uh, we are based upon. Yeah, how do you do the algorithm? What do you do? How do you do that algorithm? Uh, uh, um, in in the West, we have different way of lives, uh, and once you only you you cross the um, law, uh, then you have consequences. So um, the freedom part is absolutely important uh, in our system. I don't know if I answered correctly uh, or if yeah, it's what no, you want. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I'm curious. Yeah, you shed a lot of light on that. And yeah, it's, the more that I think of it, it seems like it's if you give the government that information, that information you can't really undo that. And even if it starts as something that is, you know, aimed at increasing, you know, peace amongst people or, you know, aimed at increasing prosperity, whatever it's, it's, it's just not a good system for creating freedom in the long term. So it sounds like. Yeah. Um, but when I come back, uh, just to, to one issue, uh, sure. and that's the, 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 the sustainability and the green. Many people say that, you know, by uh, this push to, to more to being more green and with the climate change, a lot of jobs will be lost and that will uh, change the economies, etc. But I believe that simply it is creating a lot of business opportunities. And we need to be more wise to grasp those uh, uh, business opportunities because it will create a whole new uh, segment in our economies. And we can benefit uh, on them if we are first. And you are doing that, definitely, uh, with your company. So, so that is creating a lot of opportunities more than just uh, you know, uh, shutting down the, the traditional jobs. I think we have to go through this uh, uh, this change. Yeah, absolutely. And and in, in the United States, solar the solar industry already hires more people and has more jobs available for people than oil, gas, and coal extraction combined, which is a pretty mind blowing figure given you know how new of an industry it is here and how it's still very much on the forefront. Only. Only about half of the states in the country even embrace any form of solar whatsoever. So it's still a very new thing here and it's already created a huge impact. And I think that sort of leads to another area that I, I am curious about, which is in general with this technological change, there's so much is like we're, we're losing the old industries and we're gaining new industries 
faster than ever before. And the adjustment for individual people seems to be one of the largest talking points. Like you mentioned, the autonomous vehicles in the United States, being a truck driver is the most common profession that mm-hmm. any single person has. And so it's like, what do you do with all these truck drivers when we have a new industry or a new technology, you know, remove those, those jobs. And, and right now, I don't know how much you follow American politics, but uh, there's, you know, an election coming up and we have a candidate on the democratic uh, from the democratic party who's gaining a ton of momentum, Andrew Yang, uh, with his idea of a universal basic income to help supplement families and individuals during this time where they believe that automation is going to wipe out a number of jobs. I haven't come to any conclusions on that. I'm still very curious about, well, if automation will actually wipe out jobs or create new jobs or new opportunities. But the question still lies, what do you do with the people who are untrained or used to it, part of an, that were part of an old industry that's been reduced or removed entirely from our society? I think, uh, I, I think we should not be afraid of this change. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't believe that by wiping out um, one part of jobs, uh, um, there will be a bigger unemployment or something. We, we will simply create exactly as you say, new types of jobs. Uh, but yes, the governments uh, are responsible for uh, educating people and to prepare for uh, them for uh, the next decades uh, for uh, for 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 the fourth industrial revolution so called which is going to change uh, the business models it is going to change um, uh, the how do we work so so definitely this is a huge change that we will need to go through but I would not be afraid that by wiping out one type of job, we, we will simply be doomed. Yes, we will need to go through uh, um, uh, trainings and many other things, but uh, I'm confident that uh, there will be a whole new sector, a uh, whole new sector that will be stronger and with a huger added value. I, I agree with that notion that I, I don't. I also don't believe that automation will totally. You know, I think it will create as many new jobs as it may remove from the economy. One area that I think there could be a difference between the United States and Europe is is in how that training or education of those people would happen. Because I, it seems, and this is from my limited knowledge of European, you know, universities, but it seems the cost of university in Europe is much more affordable than it is in the United States. And right now it's a crisis in the United States with people uh, of all ages burying themselves in student loan debt to become retrained or to gain additional certifications or diplomas or, you know, credentials. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it it can be as crippling to go back to school as to have your job removed in the first place. What, What is that like in Europe? And are there any, you know, do you see the private sector stepping in there or, or, any predictions in that area? This is, a, this is a huge difference, definitely. In, in Europe, the most of the universities or uh, most of the countries, the, the universities are for free. Uh, so you have, uh, you don't pay for, for going into university uh, uh, in most of the cases. Of course, you have then uh, some private universities and uh, 
that you have to pay uh, a tuition or the top universities, but most for most of them, uh, you, 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 the, the government pays uh, simply. So, so it's it's different. Um, it's it's completely different, uh, like in the United States. Um, uh, but uh, yes, uh, the gap in financing needs to be or will need to be covered also by private sector because private sector will need a new skill set. So it, it will be in their interest to invest into that skill set. So, um, uh, so, so, so I think um, uh, private sector will play uh, a very important role uh, in this. Yeah, I, I, I lean in that direction as well. I'm just curious. So I, I wonder how that will actually occur. I, it's just, I think time will have to tell. Yeah. And for you personally, you know, you, you've achieved a lot of success at a young age. Uh, what kind of, what kind of materials or what kind of things do you study or do you like to learn about that, that, you know, drive you forward or like, yeah. Like what, what kind of things do you, do you continue to, you know, do you, do you have a learning habit? Do you read, do you watch, particular YouTube channels, do you listen to certain podcasts? What, what does that look like for you? Well, I would like to read more than I read <laughs> because I, sometimes I feel I don't have time for it. I just go to, to meetings and conferences and I learn uh, quite a lot from just going to conferences and listening to, to other people. But I, I read um, a lot of uh, international uh, newspapers um, and, uh, and um, books and uh, um, uh, of course, uh, domestic newspapers um, in, in, in Slovakia, but uh, um, that's. Uh, I, I think I would like to read much more than I than I read. Uh, a lot of the knowledge that I'm, I'm I, I gained is from the meetings, is from the experience, is from uh, the conferences that I attend or organize. It's a huge, huge uh, privilege to be able to, to meet so many wise people and to simply be like a sponge in, 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 in getting the knowledge. So it, it's, it's a huge, complete, a huge, huge privilege. I think we all wish we could read more. You know, if you could just free, <laughs> freeze time and, you know, devote a few hours a day to reading, I think everyone could use that. Uh, I think it's a remarkable thing you're able to do with the networks of people that you bring together. That's a really unique thing about what your, you know, what your company uh, is all about is, is bringing together these wise people that you mentioned. How does, how has networking, uh, you know, how has that affected you in your, in your business since you got it started? So, so your question is uh, how, uh, how how do we do networking or how yeah like how, how have you been able yeah how have you been able to leverage your network to to continue to you know grow and develop you know your your globesec how are you, how have you been able to leverage that the the, the network is uh, is absolutely key in here uh, and I mean we've been building it from the from the first day. Um, we needed to build an international network, an international advisory board. Uh, we have, for, for example, the former Homeland Secretary of the United States, Michael Chertoff, on our international advisory board. General John Allen uh, was advisor to U.S. President on fighting uh, ISIS. 
and now he's uh, the president uh, of um, the Brookings Institution, or the former Estonian president um, Ilves, or the former uh, prime minister of Sweden, Carbild. So you build this network gradually. So once you have one or two people uh, with big names who spot you and who believe what you do, and you are able to uh, um, use that opportunity to build that network, to grow that network uh, from them, uh, to create um, a platform where they feel as well that uh, um, they have a say. Um, you can you can create an international um, international network uh, that is strong, uh, that is able to to um, pick up the phone and call on your behalf um, uh, if you need. So that was absolutely crucial. So we started um, from small Slovakia. We got some former ambassadors to the United States or former deputy minister. He had, uh, they had their own networks uh, that we tried to grow. So we, we gradually brought in international stakeholders. Those international stakeholders had new networks. We brought them in and this is how, we, how, how we've done it. But we would never be able to broaden the network if we would lose our credibility, if we would lose our, if they would lose their belief in the mission of what we do, or if we would compromise in that, or if we would uh, misuse the trust that we are building. So that's why the trust um, uh, is, is absolutely important and the sense of mission. It can't be just a, um, you know, one-off issue um, or a, a uh, exchange. It needs to be really a sense of a mission and a dedication um, uh, and the belief that the organization that they are associated with, with their names with, is actually an organization which is leveraging and strengthening their names as well. So it's it's not a one-way street. It's 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 a two-way street, and we have to give back uh, in terms of the credibility, in terms of multiplying the impact of individuals who uh, invest in, into us, uh, their energy, their time, and their dedication. So um, uh, so it, it has not been easy, and it's not easy to, to, to sustain that network, uh, and it's not easy to grow it. But um, uh, I think from year to year, uh, it's a little bit um, easier. But then also the pressure on you and on the organization is also bigger because you cannot fail and you, you need to deliver. I think it's good to hold yourself to to create those kinds of stakes, you know, to, to continue driving your, your quality. You know, if there's nothing at stake, then it's bound to, you know, it's ba you're bound to slack off, right? So that's... Uh, that's really cool to hear that, you know, with, with the increased size of the network, you have to continue to build the trust with the individuals and continue to deliver what you do. Um, I think that's an important lesson in there. Yeah, absolutely. And in our, in, in, in our case, uh, um, it's not money. It's really the mission. It's really the belief that we can change the world and we can influence it for the better if we put together the right stakeholders at the right time and the right place for a free uh, uh, discussion, for finding solutions. If they come to our platform that they meet new people and they meet uh, uh, other people within a few days 
uh, that they would not be able to meet uh, in months. So uh, that's a platform uh, we have uh, built and we are trying to build further, is that when they come to our conference or Globsec, they will meet the right people with whom um, they can uh, make an impact and change. And sometimes uh, there are a lot of uh, meetings that we even don't know about and they are natural. Uh, and there are a lot of uh, ideas that are uh, being born on, on those meetings. And uh, they have their own life and, uh, and we, support, uh, we support it uh, with everything um, uh, how we can. It's an amazing thing when you get a lot of people together, what kind of interactions can occur and what kind of productivity can happen sort of just naturally. It's a cool thing. Mm. And one last area that, that I'd be curious if you could, you know, shed some light on is, is how GlobeSec is different than other think tanks only because, and the only reason I ask is because I think in the United States, the word think tank is something that a lot of people have heard and they feel like it's more of like a special interest group. They feel like it's more driven by uh, financial gain uh, and, you know, a particular agenda. And from my conversation with you, it seems the complete opposite. It seems like you're focused on values and focused on freedom and focused not on the financial end of things. Do you see your own organization, you know, creating a, a, more of a standard or more of a role model for other think tanks in, in your space? We are a non-profit, so we are not uh, creating profit. But of course, uh, we need to have um, money and uh, sponsorship to be able to, to, to do things. But we try to keep our independence. So we don't have any partner who, who donates or who sponsors us uh, more than um, 10% with uh, our overall budget and everything is connected and uh, all, all the donations or sponsorships are connected to very specific projects so we don't have any guaranteed money just for functioning which uh, 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 makes us uh, be on, on, on the you know, edge of innovation. We need to be better, we need to uh, deliver and we need to prove every year that uh, we are doing uh, we are able to, to grow, we are able to create a change and impact. And we are non-profit, so, so um, the, the goal is to make an impact and uh, whoever believes in that um, uh, can join us um, uh, uh, to, to make the world um, uh, a, a better place. And uh, they are gaining many of those who, who, who simply are partnering with us are just getting uh, their own network uh, is, is broadening with us. Uh, they are able to meet uh, people whom they did not meet before, uh, or they are able to strengthen the friendships and um, and the the relationships uh, um, uh, they need to. So it's a it's a kind of platform uh, which um, uh, which benefits everybody who invests time, energy, or 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 even resources, financial resources into that. So, uh, but we, we don't um, cooperate with everybody. We choose our partners. Um, we choose our partners based on the values, based on whether they are uh, helping to make the world uh, a better and a stable and a sustainable place or not. And if they believe in this vision, if they believe in this, um, uh, in this uh, um, uh, goal, uh, we, 
we are happy and ready to talk. So I don't know if we are the role model. <laughs> I hope we are for some. But there are many, many other think tanks who, who simply don't uh, create profit, um, but they are there uh, for the mission um, as, as well. So, so we are not the only one, but definitely we are trying to be, uh, uh, trying to be one of the best, uh, not only in our region, but uh, um, in Europe. Well, I, I truly appreciate that transparency there because I think, you know, as you know, you, we didn't really dive into it, but you know, you mentioned how with this technological improvements, disinformation is a big challenge as well. And so I think as we continue to, you know, progress, having neutral, fair and balanced sources of honest information is going to continue to become more and more important as we go. So I appreciate that. Thank you. No, thank you. Absolutely. This is uh, crucial um, in this very complicated world. Because you mentioned disinformation, because many uh, this this is a very huge uh, thing in Central Europe. So we, there is a huge disinformation scene in in Slovakia, and there are uh, this disinformation is fueled by multiple actors, also from outside uh, our country and our region. And we have to understand that the goal of disinformation is not to win the argument or win you to believe uh, to believe what they say. The goal of this information is to confuse people, to decrease their trust in the system, to decrease their trust in uh, in, 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 in democracy. Um, and the end result is a passive citizen who doesn't believe um, uh, uh, nothing, uh, who, who doesn't want to take part um, on, on the uh, you know, political life. And that's the worst case uh, for democracy. So the goal of this information is to decrease the trust in the system. Uh, and then the, there is a minority which can be louder if the majority is simply uh, uh, simply uh, silent. Uh, and that's very, very dangerous for democracies. And we've seen that uh, in the past. Now we need to avoid that. Absolutely. Well, Robert, I, I truly appreciate you coming on and sharing all this information with me and, and answering my questions. And, uh, you know, again, I truly applaud what you're doing over there. I think it's a great thing and I wish you much success in the future. Before we wrap up, is there anything, any last words you'd like to leave with the audience? Any uh, key takeaways, words of advice or asks or requests, anything like that? No, I, I would just like to thank you uh, for for this uh, excellent podcast, and maybe underline one thing that I that, that I mentioned, we have a general generational mission to make sure that through that we go through uh, this disruption uh, stronger and not weaker, and that there will be more winners as losers. And we can only do it together. We can only do it if we collaborate, and we can only do it if we are aware. Uh, what kind of mission we have as a generation. Love it, man. Love it. You, everyone, you heard Robert. It's a generational mission, and uh, together we have to define that it, those issues and, and move in the same direction here. Thank you for that.
Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.